Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today it's me and I'm going to be talking about five ways in which I stay sane and protect my mental health and remain in a fully recovered eating disorder status. Okay, so I'm going to be sharing my tips with you. Just want to say that, of course, everyone's journey is individual. I'm sharing some things that work for me, but your journey is your journey. So obviously, take what is helpful, what is not helpful, reject, follow your inner wisdom and your own path. Let's get to it. So I'm going to talk today about five ways that I stay sane and protect my mental health and remain in a recovered eating disorder place. So with an eating disorder, it's not really about food. It's about feelings. And we kind of hear that again and again. But often beneath an eating disorder is a loss of the self, a loss of your voice, being out of touch with your feelings having very low self-worth, all of these things are kind of going on, although you may be completely unaware that that's what's kind of going on beneath the surface. So, so much of my recovery from an eating disorder has been about coming back into alignment with myself, protecting my energy, listening to my feelings, trusting my inner voice, coming back, I guess, to who I am as a person. And I'm a sensitive person. I absorb energy from my environment like a sponge, whether that be like uplifting, life enhancing, loving and energetic vibes. I'm thinking of some of my lovely friends in my life here or being somewhere beautiful in nature or listening to my favorite music. I know for me, my mood can be transformed pretty quickly by what I'm exposed to, positive or negative. And of course, this is wonderful if you're in the right environment where you're getting support and love and encouragement, inspiration. But the downside is that my energy can be knocked off balance pretty quickly with draining or negative energy. So if I'm around someone, and this is particularly more in the past because I think I've become so much better at having good boundaries, protecting myself, etc. But particularly in the past, if I was around someone who was angry or critical, I'd be really affected by that. I would really absorb all that energy and it would make me feel quite fearful. Or if I'm just thinking recently with the pandemic and having to sit through sometimes like very onerous Zoom work meetings, I'm not talking about client calls here. I'm talking about those kind of meetings that you have to do sometimes as part of life where you're learning about a new IT system or something that I find not very stimulating. I find that can be incredibly draining on my energy or perhaps working in a really cluttered, overwhelming environment, which feels chaotic and stifling. So my energy tank as well, although it can be really refilled, be refilled with lots of sort of positivity. If I'm around inspiring, uplifting, loving people. Also in other situations, my tank can be drained really, really quickly. And I can be left feeling exhausted and needing time away to recoup. So I have learned with time and experience to fiercely protect my energy as precious gold dust almost, because without doing this, I feel exhausted, overwhelmed and anxious. 
And particularly in the past, I would have really used food as a way of trying to cope with that out of controlness as the one thing that I could control in everything that was going on. But obviously, that's a very healthy coping strategy. It's much more effective to like fiercely protect my own energy and have helpful strategies in place. But, you know, it's not always that easy, is it? And I know for myself in my childhood, although there were wonderful parts which allowed me to flourish and embrace parts of who I was, and I'm really very grateful for these, but there were also times where there was a lot of overbearing and controlling aspects that really did impact my worth and also impacted my sort of ability to tap into my own inner voice. And I absorbed a lot of that negativity, as we do as children, unconsciously and consistently. And I came to the conclusion that I was wrong. I tried to twist myself to please and gain the approval and acceptance of those around me. And of course, that was a great cost to my mental health. So it's taken me several years to stand separately from this and to know what is mine to take on board and what to acknowledge as well as other people's stuff. It's taken me several years to accept my own power and to take responsibility for my self-care, looking after my own needs and cultivating an environment that allows me to flourish. For a long time, I blamed others. I felt stuck and damaged. I felt powerless and anxious, and I couldn't see how to change this. But things have changed, and they can change for you too. Today, I'm pleased to say I live in a very different place, still having human struggles because that's part of being alive. However, I now feel much more resilient, emboldened and sure of how to take care of myself mentally and physically. So, sorry, that was a bit of a long introduction, but I'm now going to get on to some of the things I do practically day by day to maintain my mental health and my eating disorder fully recovered status. Status? Is that the right word? You know what I mean. So number one is something I've repeated on lots of podcasts before, but I have to say it because it is so fundamentally important. And that is the eating regularly with the balancing blood sugar, eating all the food groups and getting enough rest. So following that kind of pattern every day of making sure that I'm doing those basics, that I'm not missing meals, that I'm not restricting, that I'm keeping my body fueled it places me in an emotionally robust place to deal with everything else that's going on in life. And I know for myself, if I did go back into restrictive eating, if I started to sort of miss meals, if I started not to take care of myself in that way, I could be vulnerable to a relapse. And I'm saying that as someone who hasn't relapsed into eating disorder behaviors for many, many, many years. But I guess I don't take that for granted. And I know that I could be vulnerable to doing that if I push my body back into that very unself-caring zone. So I'm only going to just leave it at that for that one, because I think I've said a lot on podcasts previously about that, but kind of had to include it. Okay, number two is morning time. So I try to start my day before everyone wakes up with some alone time. Now, I don't have some mega fancy morning routine. Often it's just some gentle, quiet time before the day begins, before everyone descends downstairs. So it might even sometimes be just having a shower in peace, you know, just kind of like doing a a little bit of tidying up and perhaps a bit of journaling. 
So a bit of journaling where I have time for myself to think about my thoughts and get focused in the direction I want to for the day. Because if I launch straight into my day with everyone around me, being sensitive as well, I haven't allowed myself the time to align and become grounded. I'm then far more reactive to other people's moods and whatever life is throwing me on this day. And when I journal, it can take different forms. So sometimes it could be expressing gratitude. Sometimes it could be writing free association style about a problem I'm trying to wrestle with. Sometimes it could be a refocus on my goals and dreams and just remembering, you know, what's this all about? Sometimes it could be some reflective writing after reading a chapter in a book that's really inspired me. So I'm not super strict with myself about what I have to do. And sometimes as well, I might miss a day if I'm really tired or if life intervenes. So I adopt quite a compassionate approach to journaling. Overall, though, setting my well-being compass to consider my own self-care, my own thoughts, my own needs, my own priorities is incredibly helpful at the start of the day. And it can sound quite selfish to be doing all this kind of inner me focused work. Actually, it makes me a so much nicer person. It makes me much more intentional with how I spend my time during the day. It makes me much more considerate about how I'm interacting with people. It's almost like I've recharged my batteries before I plunge into the fullness of the day. Okay, number three is taking regular breaks. So I used to be somebody who would do, 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 do all the time. I was on a striving treadmill for the to-do lists, the work. And I often see this pattern so often in my clients as well today. And I would often use food as the break. So binge eating, emotional eating as a kind of shortcut to distraction and a desperate attempt to have a break and switch off for a bit. It was almost like turning to food. It wasn't like taking a proper break and it wasn't giving myself permission to have a break. It was almost like a bit of an escape from planet Earth for a bit, which I really needed, but in a very conscious, dissociated way, which of course doesn't really refuel us in the way that we need to be refueled. So now that I work from home as well, it would be really easy to just go down the rabbit hole of work and work for hours and hours. But now every hour I will get up, move my body, and I'm not talking about doing exercise here, I'm just talking about literally getting up from the chair, moving around the house. And it will sometimes be doing things like nipping out to get some groceries or something, might be hanging out the washing, it might be moving to a different room, watching a YouTube video that's completely unrelated to work, might be even just laying on the bed and resting for a bit, but I would have like moved from the downstairs room. So when I get away from work as well, it allows my brain a break and it allows me to tune in and reflect on how I'm doing. And I think that's a really, really important bit here. So I can allow some reflection time, you know, what's happened in the day so far? I notice how am I feeling in my body? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I need to go to the loo? Am I stiff at all? How am I doing? How am I feeling? Like, how am I feeling after a call with a client? Is there anything I need to take to supervision? Did something come up that has impacted my sort of energy? Maybe I'm like worried about something. It's really helpful just to tune in and see how I'm doing because of so often we don't allow ourselves that tune in time, but we don't allow ourselves that tune in time. We are just kind of mindlessly going through the day and we can't 
we often meet our own needs in the way that we need to. But for me, by stopping, having regular breaks, I can regularly tune in, I can think about what I need, and then I can take care of myself in that moment to help me get through the day. So by taking these regular breaks, I can attend to my needs and look after myself in the same way that you would keep your beloved pet or young child or best friend nurtured and cared for. I'm doing exactly the same for myself. Okay, number four, people in my life. So as I said, growing up as a child, there were some influences that were pretty negative for me, albeit though only a part of the bigger picture. After leaving home, though, I gravitated, as we often do, towards what I knew. And although this has included some wonderful and enriching friendships that are still very much part of my life today, I also sought out the familiar, the over-control and the criticism. And we all often do this unconsciously. Whatever we experience as children becomes our normal and we gravitate to finding people who will treat us in a way that feels familiar. And it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because I think sometimes you would think we would be aware of what our home environment was like. And then we would perhaps try and gravitate towards different kinds of people. But whatever we experience as children, it becomes safe and known. So we tend to seek out people that will replicate those experiences and reactivate those feelings that seem so familiar. And of course, you know, if you had a really loving, happy, encouraging, supportive early life with lots of good role models and you're really nurtured and had your emotional needs met, then you will naturally kind of gravitate towards people in your adult life who can do that for you. So it all depends on what your early experiences were like. So today I actively spend time with the people who I love and who support and encourage me. I have strong boundaries in place with people who will continue to be in my life, family members that I love, but I also protect myself and consider how much time and energy to devote to these relationships. I sometimes think as well, I say this a lot to my clients, you know, if you're an empath, you feel the needs of the world so acutely and you have so much empathy and warmth and compassion and understanding for people around you in your life who may be struggling but I think the tricky thing is we only have so much resource in our tank and the world is infinitely demanding so we need to be really protective of that resource and think about how we're going to divvy it up because if if you're not careful you will give all of that to all kinds of people in the world that maybe are not really your priority and you won't have as much left for maybe like yourself your partner, your children, your best friends, your close family members, whoever it is that is really important to you. So for me, friendships or relationships that no longer serve me have fallen away in time. This has been kind of a hard process for me sometimes because I think I would often feel a lot of guilt feeling that I should be in these relationships, should be in contact with these people because they've been around for a long time. You know, I think with some relationships, it has just been such a healthy thing to take a real step back and maybe for us to drift apart. And with other relationships, perhaps people in my life who I love, but where relationships are still being difficult, I have to have really strong boundaries. So I think it doesn't mean that you just have to cut out everybody in your life, but it's being quite discerning and thinking about, you know, Who do you love and you want to be in your life? Who really uplifts and enriches your life and encourages you and is mutually supportive? 
who as well is in your life who maybe you love, but you need to have some firm boundaries in place. So it's really thinking about each relationship that is important to you individually. So as well, I think definitely with some of my earlier relationships with some family members, I do have a lot of compassion and forgiveness for some of those difficult relationships. And I've only come to that point through doing a lot of work over time. And definitely earlier in my life, I was really raging and blaming a lot and, you know, not in a particularly helpful place for some of those relationships. But it was an important stage for me to work to to get to the place that I am with those relationships today. So I definitely need as well alone time to understand my own thoughts and feelings. Because for me, being sensitive, I don't allow myself this. I can be like a rabbit in the headlights and I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm almost so overstimulated by everything that's going on in my environment that I feel really sort of discombobulated, if that's the right word. So time alone means that I can ground myself and come back to my centre. So I need to allow some of that time every single day. And my final point about how I protect my energy and stay true to myself is learning to say no. So up until I was around 30, I would pretty much say yes to everything. I would observe my environment, see what I thought people needed and try and twist myself to be that person. And a lot of this was unconscious. It was a survival strategy to keep safe and to avoid rejection. I didn't even know what my opinion was half the time as I never allowed myself the time to go inwards and to reflect. So someone said to me, Harriet, where do you want to go for a drink? I'd say, oh, no, you choose. You choose. Where do you want to go? And I would have no idea really where I wanted to go. If someone asked me that, I had never given myself the time of day to really think about what were my personal preferences. I had no sense of identity and I was so defined by people around me. Now, the thing was with this, it was frustrating for me and it was also frustrating for those around me too, because when I people please, it just gives very confusing messages to other people because it sort of seems outwardly that you're kind of very compliant and that you are genuinely going along with everything, but actually your sort of resistance and your feelings maybe of not wanting to do something are going to leak out in other ways And then that causes a lot of friction in relationships. And I think as a recovering people pleaser, I've realized how helpful it is actually when you can just say straightforwardly to someone, this is how I feel, this is what I want to do. It's just so much easier because you and the other person know exactly where you are. There's not all this kind of ambiguity and confusion. Although people pleasing seems to be an effective thing in the short term, it actually leads to so many problems. And I know for myself, and I've had to do a lot of work on forgiving myself for this really, is it's caused some of my relationships to completely break down where I just wasn't open and honest about how I felt. And then things went on for so long in that vein. And then one day everything would come out and, you know, in a way, the relationship would almost become dishonest because I wasn't able to speak my truth. I say that as well, like I wasn't doing that in a way to be manipulative or lying. I was doing it as a survival strategy because I was so terrified of rejection and it's being on the other end of kind of, you know, not making someone else happy. But of course, that's not a helpful way to live. And one thing I've had to really learn in overcoming all of this is to recognize that when 
feelings of guilt arise when I'm not people pleasing is to almost recognize actually that's sort of trauma guilt from childhood and actually it's not a helpful feeling in that situation and I don't need to just go with that guilt because of course guilt is a valid emotion it stops us probably murdering people when they annoy us things like that but actually if we're feeling guilty every time we're not pleasing someone else that is not healthy so I feel I've waffled on a bit there now (laughs) but anyway I suppose the thing that I would like to say for me as well is that's something I've really worked on it's been a huge part of my eating disorder recovery but also just beyond eating disorder recovery and just learning to become more assertive more true to myself more honest and authentic and it's taken me time to change and I've almost had to rediscover who I was to relearn my personal tastes and preferences I've had to experiment to find out what I like or don't like and it's sometimes been a bit scary and overwhelming at times and it's a journey that I'm still on and tweaking and nudging in the right direction every day so today I know that I love velvet and leopard print and rich colors. I know that I love people with ideas and dreams and who have a passion for personal development. I know that I need lots of time alone to restore and recoup my energy. I know that I love creating and sharing my experiences with others, whether that be through video making or podcast or writing. And I know that I don't like having too many social things going on, although I love one-to-one meetups with close friends and occasional disco night or long walks in nature and just chatting and putting the world to rights. But again, can't do all of that too much because otherwise my energy tank is just drained. So you'll notice that in this episode, I haven't really talked about food that much because really, as I'm always saying, it's not about food, but about feelings. But when you're not protecting your energy, when you don't have boundaries, when your feelings aren't being expressed, when you're saying yes, but your body says no, when you've lost your identity, Food and your body image can become the outlet and release, and whether that be through restriction or binge eating or overexercise. So have a think about you. You know, these are some of the things that have supported me, but we are all different. We are all unique. We all have our individual preferences, likes and dislikes. So think about carving out time to get to know yourself. So let's just recap through the things that I've talked about and just to reflect on the things that are relevant to you. So first of all, think about how you're doing at the moment with your regular eating, your rest and your basic self-care. Are you including those things in your daily life? Are you taking regular breaks and allowing yourself to rest? Or are you always on a to-do treadmill where you use food as the one outlet? Who are the people in your life? Do you have people that energize and uplift, support and encourage you? And if you don't, maybe it's time to start thinking about seeking out people more like that and distancing yourself from people who are draining you in a negative way. What about learning to say no? Do you know what you like? Can you say yes when you want to and that to be a wholehearted yes? Can you say no when you really don't want to do something? Can you recognize a yes and a no in your body? I know something for me as well, when I feel a real yes towards something, I do feel that kind of surge of energy in my chest. My body feels inspired and kind of uplifted and I 
feel excited and like I want to sort of step towards something. When I have a no in my body, I feel a more sort of sinking feeling. I feel a more feeling of dread. I feel a sense of sort of obligation and heaviness. So that's something to reflect on. How do you feel your yes and your no in your body? Do you have like a morning routine, even if it's only like a little short one? It doesn't have to be something that feels like a great big should. It's really overwhelming and difficult. But actually, if you can just set your compass for the day in an intentional way to focus you in line with your values, it can be so, so valuable. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next time, probably with another guest. But I will let you know about that. So I hope this episode has given you some information to reflect on and think about your own recovery journey and maybe what you can take from it, what you can reject, but what you can use to help move you along the road towards healing. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. I'd be so grateful if you enjoyed this episode, if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps this podcast reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.